Good morning, Hillcrest. Greetings to you who are joining us online. We're so glad that you're connecting with us on our various platforms. And those who've gathered here live, it's great to see your faces. We love you and happy to gather around the text of God's word with you today. Um, If I'm here, you know, our pastor is not. And so give a little bit of explanation about that. His only son got married yesterday. And so um, they're out of town celebrating. Yeah, yeah, we, we rejoice with them. Um, wonderful time to celebrate. And so he, Lord willing, will be back with us next week. And so I will continue along in our um, series of messages on core beliefs, things we believe. Faith is so important to us, but what do we believe? And we've been looking at a number of things that we believe, using as a guide um, a very historic statement of faith called the Apostles' Creed. And as we've been looking, I believe there's a golden thread woven through our faith. And if I could summarize it in one word, it's this idea of grace. We've been singing about it all day today. This idea that God gives us what we don't deserve and could never deserve. And so we'll talk about that today, looking at one article from the Apostles' Creed, namely the phrase, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And there are many verses that we could turn to uh, because the Bible is replete with passages about the forgiveness of sins. But for our purpose today, what I'd like to do is just focus on one single verse in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And, And my hope is that as we apply this verse again and again to our hearts, we look at it again and again, every phrase, every word, that every single one of us will be able to have a deep belief in the forgiveness of sins, having experienced it by grace. And so to get us started, I'd like to read the verse and then pray for us and then, and then we'll do some preaching. Uh, would you mind standing with me as we look at one verse from God's word? It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is perfect. This is the word of our Lord. Please give your attention to it. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Please join me in prayer. Father, you are good and you do good. There's no darkness within you. Uh, Lord, we worship you and we praise you and we honor you today. And now, God, as we come to your word, I pray that every single one of us would be attentive to it. May the preacher decrease and be brought to nothing, that Christ might increase and be made everything. Lord, we want to glorify you. And with respect to this idea of forgiveness, I pray, God, that you would so shape our hearts today that we understand what your word teaches, we believe it, we receive it for ourselves, and we apply it in our everyday living. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. This message is for you. Uh, Preaching is a a very serious thing. And so I hope that as we are dialoguing today, uh, you'll find something in it for you. God is always at work. He's always speaking. But the question is, will you listen and will you respond today? The things that we'll touch on today are of eternal significance. And so I beg that you will listen to me today. Now, I will say, just as a way, by way of disclaimer, it is possible that I will say something that will be a 
offensive to you, okay? And it's never my aim to be a troublemaker, but I have to be a faithful messenger. I will speak the truth in love, but I want you to listen to me today because God has something very important to say with respect to our sins being forgiven. And then judge every, everything I say, always judge it, as you do with any preacher or teacher, according to the Bible, right? And so what we'll do for our purposes today, as I said, look at this one verse, the one that we read, and then apply it to various perspectives, various views with respect to forgiveness. What I'd like to do is bring up statements which represent a perspective regarding forgiveness and then apply this passage to it and then see what God says to our perspective, okay? And the aim is that by the time that we're done, all of us will really be able to say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let's start with this first very fundamental perspective, and it's this. I want to speak to people who would say something like this. I don't believe in the forgiveness of sins because I don't have sins. I don't have sins. May I speak with you for a moment today? You may feel very confident about your own goodness. You may think that you've never sinned against God because you've never cheated on your spouse, you've never murdered anyone. And when you compare yourself with people like Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden, you say, man, I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. And you are, I mean, you, 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 everyone who knows you likes you and you honestly try to live a good life and that's really good, I commend you for that. But I'd be doing you a great disservice today if I didn't warn you. Just like if a doctor wants to be a good doctor, he has to give bad news concerning the body sometimes. So it is. If you're gonna be a good preacher, you have to give people bad news concerning their soul sometimes. And I'm here to tell you uh, regarding your soul today, you are not well. And if you're honest with yourself, uh, you would admit that you feel this sickness. You feel the symptoms of it from time to time. Perhaps you're unusually hateful towards people when you, you don't really know why. You want to be kind, but you find that you aren't. Or perhaps you habitually lie to people. You just constantly say things that aren't true. Maybe it's even affected your relationships with others. And perhaps you have a temper and it's led to outbursts of rage and anger, maybe even physical violence. Or maybe you've even found it difficult to avoid substances or maybe you've been promiscuous. Whatever it is, I'm just here to say you're not innocent. And you may even be resistant to me saying this to you because you may say, well, yes, I've felt things in my heart, but I've never acted out these things in my life. Did you know, Matthew chapter five, did you know that in the eyes of God, if you look lustfully, Jesus Christ says you're guilty of adultery in your heart. Jesus says if you harbor hatred against your brother without a cause, you're liable to the court. You're, you are just like a murderer before God. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I love you too much to lie to you today. 
You're not well. You have a disease that the Bible calls sin. And more than being sick with sin, you're guilty because of it. You're not just the victim of a disease. You're complicit in doing things that make you guilty before God. This is why our text says the forgiveness of our trespasses. The Bible uses a very specific word. A trespass is simply to go past a boundary. And that's what we've all done. God has established his standards. And every single one of us, not once, not twice, but thousands of times have transgressed that boundary. It's to do something wrong. And our wrongdoing fundamentally is against God. So to anyone who would ever dare to say, I don't have sins, listen to what God's word says to you today. Romans chapter three. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So if you're listening today, before we even talk about the forgiveness of sins, you just need to know you have sins. And moreover, as I've been alluding to it, Sin has consequences, deadly consequences. It's the most expensive thing you'll ever partake of. God says in his word, the wages of sin is death. That is to say, every single act of disobedience against God's law is deadly. And God made the terms very clear to us. When he started with the very first man, he made him from the dust of the ground. The Bible says he breathed into him the breath of life. And he said to Adam, Adam, have dominion. Eat from whatever tree you want to eat from. They're all free for you except for that one right there in the middle. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't ever eat of it because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The bad news is that Adam ate, and so did Eve. I've eaten, and so have you. And so we are all condemned. Or to say it even more pointedly, you need forgiveness. To the one who says, I don't have sins, God says, you must be forgiven. Next, I want to speak to the one who says something like this, this perspective that says, I sin, you got me. But I don't know how to be forgiven. Everything I've said so far has been pretty much awful. I'm pretty sure you didn't come here today to hear bad news. Why do I tell you bad news? Because I want you to love God. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke to a Pharisee once, the one who knows they've been forgiven much loves much. And just like the stars that are still in the sky, though we can't see them today because of the radiance of the sun, at night, against the backdrop of a dark sky, the stars shine so radiantly, don't they? In the same way, the grace of God shines radiantly against the backdrop of our very dark and heinous sin. 
or to say it another way, the bitter bad news that you're a sinner and need forgiveness prepares you for the sweet good news that God offers forgiveness. If you are here today and you are willing to acknowledge that you're a sinner, I have the amazing news for you that God offers forgiveness. Like a, like a free gift, he extends the terms of peace and places it right in front of you. This is what our text says. Look at it with me again, verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood. We're gonna look at those phrases, in him, through his blood. Because the good news, the best news I could ever tell you in human history is that God himself, he's established the terms of peace. He's established a system by which sinners can be forgiven. And it doesn't say in you, you have redemption. Through your blood. It says in Christ, in the beloved. God has done this in and through his son, Jesus. Why is this the case? Why is Jesus the only way? Do you remember I said about Adam, how God sent Adam, he created him, he, he put him in the world to, to have dominion and all the human race to have dominion. But Adam failed. And so God sent us, he sent a second Adam, one who would not fail, one who could not fail. And the amazing truth about this second Adam, this Jesus Christ, this perfect man, is what we sing about when we sing songs like Because He Lives. The song starts, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. This is what the good news is all about. It's Jesus' perfect life as a substitute for our imperfect life. His sinless life was accepted by God in place of our sinful life. And the most important thing you can be is in him. Because only in Christ are you saved. Only in Christ are you delivered from bondage and set free. Only in Christ are you given a hope and a future. And only in Christ are you forgiven. It's not just the perfect life of Christ, although we need that. We need his record. We need his righteousness. But Jesus wasn't able to just come and live a perfect life and that be all. He knew that his mission had to end with death. It's not just a perfect life, it's a perfect death, a sacrifice that was necessary. We need Jesus to die in our place. This is why that hymn continues. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. This is why behind me is a huge cross. We are people who know the price that was paid to purchase our forgiveness. This is why the text says in him, in him, Jesus, we have redemption, how? Through his blood. You and I can only be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That is to say, someone has to die for your sins. And God is very clear about this. When we move forward from Genesis, looking at Adam, to even move into the book of Leviticus, for instance. 
where in Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement, God established the priest and he told him to place his hands on the head of a goat, an animal, and confess over it all the sins and the transgressions and the trespasses of the nation. Place them on the head of the animal. And that animal would go and be sacrificed. And it rubs us the wrong way, perhaps. That an innocent animal, particularly those of us who love animals, an animal who's done no sin must now be sacrificed. That's exactly right. It, it takes a sinless substitute to cover our sins. And so when we move forward into human history and we see John the Baptist in John chapter 1, look at Jesus Christ and say, behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We understand that Jesus is that lamb, and it cost him everything. It cost him everything to take away our sins. It wasn't cheap, and it wasn't easy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you're saying, I don't know how to have my sins forgiven, I have good news for you. The son of God was nailed to the cross instead of you so that he might purchase your forgiveness. He died in your place. To the one who says, how can I be forgiven? Please tell me. God says, forgiveness is offered in Christ through his blood. And once you see yourself as a sinner, and once you see Jesus as the Savior, you need only trust him. Trust him to save you, and he will. No longer look to yourself or to your good works or even to your own sin. Look to Jesus and he will save you. Trust him. The Bible describes a tax collector who once with a Pharisee was going to the temple to pray. Both of them were sinners. Only one knew he was a sinner and the other didn't. The tax collector was so overwhelmed by his sin, that he bowed his head. He wouldn't even look up. And he wouldn't come near to the temple. He stopped and he beat his chest in remorse and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, that man went down to his house justified, forgiven. It was not a process. It was not you do a bunch of good deeds and God will forgive you. He confessed his sin and in an instant he was forgiven. And so I'm saying to you, trust Jesus and he'll forgive you that immediately. I think also of the thief on the cross. I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon without mentioning the thief on the cross. I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God to a man who's lived his entire life as a sinner. He's on the cross receiving capital punishment because of his sins. And he and his partner, who's on the other side of Jesus, are mocking Jesus from the cross. 
And the Bible says that this man, this particular one, had a change of heart from the cross. The Holy Spirit started to do a work in the heart of this man as he's dying. Such that he doesn't see Jesus to be, as one to be mocked. He doesn't see himself as a great person. He sees himself as a sinner and Jesus as a savior. And he turns and he looks at Jesus in an instant and he says, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. Immediately he was forgiven. Jesus said to him, today, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I say to you, Trust Jesus and you'll be forgiven at once. Now, I want to speak to a third perspective now. Someone who says, I've trusted Jesus. I've been forgiven. But I cannot forgive myself. That is to say, I struggle with this concept of forgiveness such that I'm overwhelmed by the burden and the guilt of my past. I'd like to have a conversation with you. Because this verse is still true, even for you. Look at it with me. It says, in him we have, what's the word? Redemption. Circle that word. Through his blood. The forgiveness. Circle that word. Of our trespasses. We're going to talk about these words together. What is redemption? Redemption is a financial term. It means to buy back. To redeem is to buy something back. Prisoners of war would ordinarily face slavery And so they'd be in bondage until a ransom came, which led to their release. So think of forgiveness and redemption as cause and effect. The cause is the redemption. It's the purchase price that is made. And the effect is the release, which is forgiveness. But before there's forgiveness, before there's release, there must be a payment. I want to speak to people who struggle with really believing that God has forgiven them all their sins. Jesus Paid it all. This is so important. Before Jesus died, he said seven sayings from the cross, one of which I just mentioned to the thief. Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know my favorite of all the seven. They're all glorious and awesome. But the one that ministers to my soul again and again is a three-sentence, three-word sentence. It is finished. John 19.30. It is accomplished. It is paid in full. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what you've done before coming to Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done since coming to Christ. It doesn't matter what you have yet to do in the future. Jesus' death on the cross for you as a believer is sufficient payment for all of your sins. The debt you owe is paid in full. This is why Paul will say these words in Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Take cheer, Christian. Even if your faith is weak, Take cheer. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The one who died to buy your forgiveness was raised. He ascended. He sits at the right hand of God and he's pleading for you. 
Jesus Christ himself prays for you by name. He holds his hands up to the Father and says, that one there, that miserable sinner, Eric Mitchell, I died for him. That gives me great confidence. That is what redemption looks like. And now let's talk about forgiveness. This word forgiveness, as I've been saying, he says in the text, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It is a releasing. To forgive is to release someone of their guilt or punishment. It's to send it away. Some translations will say remission. The moment you trust Jesus for salvation, God sends your sins all away. And this is the imagery we see in Psalm 103 when it says this, he, God, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you're here today, if you're listening today and you are crippled by the guilt of your past, God says, I have removed your transgressions from you as far as the east is from the west. To believers, he says this. To the one who says, I've been forgiven, I'm trusting Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior but I can't forgive myself, God says to you, I have truly and fully forgiven you. And that's good news. But in this final perspective, I wanna turn now to this fourth and final perspective for those who probably have been saying yes and amen to everything that I've said so far. Yes, I agree, Uh, this is awesome, yes. But you still struggle with the idea of the forgiveness of sins. And what I mean is this, you believe in the forgiveness of sins for yourself. Praise God, I have been forgiven. But there's a struggle. There's a struggle to forgive others who sin against you. I wanna speak to a perspective that says something like this, I've been forgiven, but cannot forgive others. I've been forgiven. But I cannot, and frankly, if we're honest, will not. Forgive others. I'd like to speak to that perspective for just a moment. Looking again at this verse, which is still true and relevant for all of our lives. Look at the end of this verse. He says, I, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. Our pastor recently did a teaching with us as a staff and he made a comment that I thought was so helpful He said that it's our tendency as fallen sinners to respond to sin with sin. So when someone mistreats us, we mistreat them. It's our tendency when someone gives us their worst for us to wanna give them our worst, right? That's fallen nature, but I'm so glad God doesn't respond to us that way. No, our pastor went on to say God responds to our worst with his best. Or said another way, according to our verse, he forgives our trespasses, our worse, according to the riches of his grace. 
I want to ask you a very serious question, and I want you to really answer it. Not out loud, but answer it. Where would you be if not for the grace of God? Right now. If not for God's grace upon your life, where would you be? Here's another question to consider. How many times have you sinned against the Lord since becoming a believer? How often have you come to the Lord for grace and mercy and for how many times? Five times, six times? Some of you know where I'm going with this. How about seven times? This is what Peter said when he came to the Lord in, in somewhat of a sanctimonious way. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You recall this, Matthew 18. What does Jesus say to him? Oh, Peter, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. What's the point? That God expects for us, God expects for us who have been forgiven to forgive others just as freely and as frequently as we have received God's forgiveness. That's the point. Jesus says, freely you have received, and so freely give. And Jesus gives a parable along those lines. Right as he gives that word to Peter, he gives a parable, which is personally my favorite parable in all of the Bible, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And so we'll conclude our time today looking at this parable and making applications all throughout regarding the idea of forgiveness. Look with me at Matthew 18. We'll begin at verse 23. The Bible says there, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That's some very strict collection practices there. I think it would help you to know how much money 10,000 talents is. We read this and we think in terms of US dollars and we say 10,000 talents, basically like $10,000, right? One talent is worth 20 years wages. 20 annual salaries is one talent. And this guy owed 10,000. He owed what was equivalent to two 100,000 years wages, trillions, astronomical debt that you could never, ever pay. That's what we owe to God. And so what does he do when he's called on the carpet? Look at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He does what every one of us should do when we're caught in that kind of situation. He, he throws himself on the mercy of the king. Have mercy. Have pity. And what does the king do, which is the representative of God, dealing with us as we are coming to him for forgiveness? Look at verse 27. This is a key verse. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him 
and forgave him the debt. Here's the point. He did not say, I'll put you on a payment plan. He did not say, if you act really nice in about five years, you can make it up to me. He did not say, I'll never, ever forgive you. He forgave him instantly, freely, fully. And he was very happy to receive that forgiveness. But look at what happens next in verse 28. When that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. This sounds very familiar to us. This is a parable about forgiveness. This man has just been forgiven, may I remind you, 200,000 years worth of wages. I mean, think, try to wrap your head around that much. If the average person works 50 years in your life, from 16 to 50 to 66, let's just say, 50 years, it takes 4,000 lifetimes to pay back 10,000 talents. And yet this guy who owes him 100 denarii, he's getting him in a chokehold. You may say, well, how much is 100 denarii? I'm so glad you asked. One denarius is worth a day's wage. So 100 denarii is about three months wages, which is not an insignificant amount. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus is... Uh, commandment to us is to ignore sin against us, to allow people to sin against us without any uh, accountability or calling them to, the, to repentance. That's not what I'm saying. We do have a responsibility to people who sin against us and won't repent. We spent some time talking about this from Romans chapter 12 a few months ago in a, in a sermon called World Changing Forgiveness. How do, you, how do you interact with people who sin against you and will not repent? That's one one perspective, but we're dealing with a man who has a, his neighbor to him saying, you got me. I've sinned against you. Have mercy on me. This is what do you do with people who are repenting? Let's look at what he does in verse 30. He refuses. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Do you see the hypocrisy, the pride, the willingness to receive mercy and the unwillingness to give mercy? Let me tell you something Jesus did not ever teach us to pray. This is what Jesus told us not to pray, okay? He did not say, pray this way, forgive us our debts because we have no intention of forgiving our debtors. No, what Jesus taught us to pray is, Forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors, right? The master heard about this and he responded to the servant. Look at verses 32 and 33 with me. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, in your Bibles, you may circle verse 33. That's the whole, that question is the whole point of this parable. Shouldn't you have mercy on others in the same way that God has mercy on you? Shouldn't you forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven you? The answer is yes. And I fear that for many of us, when we say I believe in the forgiveness of sins, what we really mean is I believe 
that God forgives me and I'm happy about that. But I have no intention of forgiving others who sin against me, no matter how repentant they are and no matter how much they ask me for forgiveness. May I say something to that perspective? That's anti-Christian. It is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at how the king responds to it in verses 34 and 35. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus concludes with these chilling words. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I'm just saying somebody here today needs to release someone. It's so important. When you, when you forgive, you, you refuse to bring it up again and throw it in the person's face. That's real forgiveness. When you forgive, you refuse to talk about it with others. And when you really forgive, you don't dwell on it anymore because that's the way God forgives us. He, he separates us from it as far as the east is from the west. And so to that one who may be listening, who says, I've been forgiven, praise God, but I cannot and will not forgive others. God says to you today, you must forgive. When we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we're admitting that our sins need to be forgiven by God. We're confessing that God forgives only through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, we're saying that we trust entirely on the finished work of Jesus and not on our own works in any way. And we're committing, we're committing ourselves to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. Hey, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you? This is God's word and let all who agree say amen.